Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 1420 Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm doing really well. It's been a productive weekend. Actually, I mean, it hasn't been that productive. It's just been it's just been full. It's been a full weekend. You texted me that you folded Mount Laundry. I did fold Mount Laundry, all of it. Yeah. And, and I actually didn't even check to verify that, so... I, I cannot say with any kind of confidence that you did, in fact, do it, and it wasn't just Kim. There are 10 socks and and two full sets of kids' clothes in the dirty clothes, and besides that, everything in my house is clean and put away. There is n- not a better feeling uh, in adulthood than the only dirty laundry in your home being on your back. Right. Well, and you know, the kids ruin that. Fast. Fast. So fast. You know? <laughs> I don't, I, I like routinely wonder while I'm folding laundry when he goes through all these clothes. Like for me, a week of laundry looks like maybe four pairs of underwear, probably three, <laughs> definitely five pairs of socks and maybe two t-shirts like on top of work clothes. Cause work clothes are a whole sure. world in and of themselves. Sure. Uh, he might go through 20 pairs of socks. Yeah, how do they do that? I don't know. Like, does he just take them out of his drawer and somehow funk them? Because, like, I look at them before they go in. Like, these are clearly dirty. So does he just, like, funk them out of the drawer and put them right into the dirty laundry? You, you know, I think that there there's a, a lack of appreciation of what goes into the laundry. And so I know, at least with regards to my, my children, in particular the, the female type, that there's a lot of clothes that get put on for brief periods of time and then deposited into the dirty clothes. And when I mean brief periods of time, I don't mean anything even resembling a stage of the day, like an hour and then off and into the dirty clothes. Nonsense. <laughs> They're the worst, man. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, other than that, my weekend was good. I, uh, I went to a Timbers game yesterday, which is our... Uh, local or semi-local, you know, they're in Portland, uh, Major League Soccer team, and they're fantastic. They're fun to watch. Was it free jersey night? It was not free jersey night. No, this is my it, this is my Pride Week pre-game jersey. Okay, that I picked up there at the at the old soccer park. It's not PGE anymore. What is it? It's not PGE. It is Providence. Ah, Providence Park. And they just they just finished construction, so they have a brand new sort of three tier seat. This is the the first game at the new facility. I haven't been there in probably twenty years. Yeah, you know my high school football team played their played their bat uh, their basketball games there. Yeah, yeah, my high school. That's how good your football team was. <laughs> they played their football games there, which was always fun. So we were always there on Friday nights, and uh, I was actually telling the fellow I went to the game with that we used to. You know, Portland has changed so much in the last 20 years, but we used to park park our cars on the roof of the Fred Meyer right across the street from from PGE or Civic Stadium right. at the time. <clears throat> and then we would sneak in. There was these there's these arched uh, these arched en- entryways. You know, it used to be a baseball yeah. field and we would go the if you went to the third to the last one. 
there was a gap. There was about a two foot gap, a 24 inch gap between the top of the fence and the arch. And we would just climb over it. There's never any, nobody cares. Right. If they caught us, they would have kicked us out. And that would have been if it. That, they'd have been like, just go through the gate. Like, <laughs> that's well, dangerous. But it was like four bucks, you know, you had to pay to get in. So yeah, we would sneak in and uh, all that stuff is still there. That, that, that facade is still there on the front of the building. There's no, I did note that there's no longer a gap. No. Cause of people like you. <laughs> well, well and they charge a lot of money for tickets now which they did not back then so. no because then it used to be the portland rockies that was the that was the highlight of what occurred at that field <clears throat> well the timbers were there at the time no i i remember when the timbers came mm. uh because previous to that it was just the beavers the portland beavers and the the portland rockies well the, the timbers have teams. been around since the 70s i mean there's been gaps of time when i think since the late 60s actually there have been gaps of time when they haven't been there but I have a vivid memory of like late 90s when the Timbers came back because a soccer coach of mine at the time, they were rebuilding the team mm-hmm. and he left the club I was playing for to go play for the Timbers. Well, late 90s is the time I was talking about. So okay. we're on the same page. All I'm right. glad we agree now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beavers and Rockies and Portland Portland State Vikings. We, oh, you yeah. know, I was there all the time. Um, and and yeah, but but I think the most money I ever paid to get in was a scrape, you know, five bucks or six bucks or whatever, you know. And now, now that won't even get you a beer. That's right. No, it, it literally will not get you a beer. Yeah, that's right. Tragedy. Yeah, but that was good. I uh, I ran some this weekend, and what else? Anything else? I watched I watched some TV. I folded I folded Mount Laundry. Well done. How about you, Andrew? How are you? Well, I had. Thus far, a pretty unproductive weekend, save for uh, today, Sam came home at about noon and said she was having a craving for some ribs. Oh, girl. Uh, And noon is pretty late in the day to get started on ribs, so I raced to the store. I I started the fire in my grill and then ran to the store, picked up the ribs, returned to the house, and the coal was ready to go, so I poured it down in the firebox. Got the wood going, got a dry rub on the ribs, threw them on, made some barbecue sauce, started mopping them. Uh, so I've never I've never done ribs in such a condensed time period before. Yeah. And they turned out pretty okay. But in my haste to get them on the grill, I forgot to pull the, the silver skin membrane off the bottom of them. Oh, sure. So that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, and the barbecue sauce I made was delicious. But a little spicy. A, lo- <laughs> a little too spicy, it, it sounds it like. It was, um, I mean, not for me. It was it was perfect barbecue sauce for me. But for the wife and kid, it was a little bit, it was outside of his tolerance range and right on the cusp of hers. And I, I can't figure out where it occurred. Um, like what part of your recipe? Yeah, I don't know what I where it happened because I got all the garlic and onion just caramelizing, caramelizing and sweetening. And then I added the tomato paste and some vinegar. And I used some chili peak, P-I-Q-U-E. And it's a Puerto Rican condiment uh, that I got or that I found in a hot sauce book. And it's basically just vinegar in a jar loaded up with chilies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got some habaneros and jalapenos in there. Um and it's not I, terribly spicy. No, I brought you some. And I yeah. think I think maybe what happened is is in that vinegar solution, 
when the liquid started to cook off, it kept all the spice. Oh, perhaps. Uh, Because as I tasted it, as I was going, I was like, okay, this is good. It's a little bit warm. That's just what I want. And then the finished product, I was like, whew, (laughs) good. Yeah, that might be what happened. It just, it just, uh, yeah. reduced all your all your spice down onto your ribs it's good though so i have a full sriracha bottle one of the big ones you know the grown-up sriracha bottles filled Mm -hmm. with that barbecue sauce for all kinds of usages and some ribs left over that turned out good uh save for the um that membrane issue which i was a little bit bummed about and i i realized it too late they'd been on for about a half an hour and i was like you idiot yeah too late to get it off then. Although, yeah. does it come off easier after you've started cooking? Uh, you know, I don't know. I've never, I've never tried. And you just did. It, it's too late. To I pull just, I remain committed. Uh, and it's okay. Yeah. Ribs are ribs are meant to be eaten with the whole hand. Um, right. So they turned out. I mean, they tasted great, uh, especially for a last minute decision. Did some homemade jalapeno poppers also, which is so good, and some corn on the cob. That's. That's a dinner right there. That is a dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That is a dinner. So that's the crowning achievement of my weekend. Fantastic. And I made it here. And here you are. Look at me. I'm trying to think. I I feel like I did something yesterday, but clearly... Oh, no. Kid was sick yesterday, so we didn't do anything. Ooh. It was weird. It was like one of those like 18-hour fevers that came out of nowhere, caused only mild discomfort, and then it was gone. So he's good now. Any uh, any interesting beers or a- anything fun this weekend? Be- besides besides just I ribs. Remember, I remember what I did yesterday. I went to a friend's birthday party at a barcade, and for those of you who are not familiar, they are bars and arcades mushed into one place. So we went to Level Up here in town. I'd never been before, uh, at least to this one, and it was terrific. They have like a hundred feet of both classic and new pinball machines and i am a sucker for pinball now what i will say is do you have a favorite do you have a favorite game who i'm partial to ghostbusters that's a good one that's a newish game um and there's one that's at trackdown and i can and i i've only ever seen it at trackdown and i don't remember what it is but we used to play that two times a week as we'd go for their lunch buffet sure play the shit out we'd bring a pocket full of quarters and play pinball um but what i didn't like about this barcade half the games have a broken button and that broken button is critical to your success the pinball games no no no, not pinball but there are other arcade games i was gonna say i think i've played every pinball game in that Uh, place like dig dug the the pump button was broken uh, on the Terminator first-person shooter, the second gun was broken. Uh, what other game did I play that had a broke? Oh, the one of the basketball games had only three balls, and it wouldn't release them. Garbage. It was trash. Trash. Uh, you, you know, I think that they really only care about their their pinball games there. The, I think the rest of that place is pretty neglected. Yeah. It which, sounds like it is. Yeah. I've only ever played pinball. I've never touched another game in that place. I, I like classic arcade games. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have a great selection of pinball games. Played the, uh, what was it? It wasn't, yeah, it was, I played the kiss game. M- Medieval Madness is for sure. A hundred percent. My favorite pinball game. I've probably spent 50 bucks on Medieval Madness at that place. Wow. In the last, couple of months 
Why don't we go there together? I, well, I don't know because you're always doing stuff. You're just... I'm at my house drinking beer alone <laughs> when you're out playing pinball. So thanks okay. for that. <laughs> Next time. Next time. Uh, you, you know, it was easier when I worked downtown because I could just walk up at lunch and and play some pinball. And Have a tall boy at PBR and play some pinball. And... Well, I mean, that's not the... It, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. I'm, I have a position where I can work when I'm on... Where I can drink when I'm on the clock. I used to. Yeah. We that's to, true. We used to play VP, though. What's that? Video poker. Oh, video poker. That's yeah. right. That's right. You can't do any of those things now on the clock. You could no. play pinball, perhaps. I wouldn't. <laughs> that's probably a bad look. Yeah. It's probably a bad look. All right. So, uh, we're talking about watches today. Sometimes. <clears throat> and I think a, a topic that's new to me for the most part, uh, it's not really been something on my radar. And I think that's going to show through in what I have to talk about today, at least for, for my piece of it. And we're talking vintage watches today. Vintage watches. Vintage watches for the affordable collector. Yeah. And what I, vintage watches have as have always been a bit of a mystery to me. Mm -hmm. And I think you actually hit the nail right on the head as to why they're a mystery to me. Uh, when we were talking about uh, occasion watches, when he said a vintage watch is a lot like a marriage where you got to take care of it. You got to pour all this energy into it. Uh, and I'm, I think that's been my uh, apprehensiveness, apprehension, apprehension about vintage watches. I want to get a watch and take care of it and wear it and wind it, maybe change the battery and love it and, and hug it and pet it and pet it and not have to worry about, wait, why is it doing that? Wait, what the fuck is happening? It just stopped. <laughs> I, right. I, there's some, there's some concern associated with antiquated technology at this point with the leaps and bounds that have occurred in watch technology since what what i'm willing to call vintage watches which when when does a vintage watch start when is it a, no longer just an old watch and a vintage watch you think that's like 80s question. so that's where we should start is let's let's us us to arbitrarily be the definitors the arbitrary of, arbiters yeah 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 of what is a vintage watch how do we how do we define that? Because there there is a difference between an old watch and a vintage watch. And what I want to do right now is hammer out when is it no longer old and when is it truly a vintage watch? Well, I'll tell you, for me, I mean, at least one of my choices is newer than the 80s, uh, significantly. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that age is the only measure, right? And, and I know with cars, right, to be... Uh, an antique or a vintage car is sort of different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, you know, depending on what state, you know, sometimes it's 25, sometimes it's 35. Um, and, and so that's, that's legislators putting, putting a number on a thing. Cause they just assume there's not enough of them running on the road that they don't have to go to DEQ anymore. Well, I think there's maybe some <laughs> sort of actuarial intent there. Right. But I, you know, with watches, we don't have those concerns, so we don't have to think about it in those terms. Um, you, you, you know, there's, there, there's an idea that something is vintage when it, it's no longer easy to get new or, um, readily available in new or excellent condition. And I think for me, that's, that's how I define it is, you, you know, I, I can't get this watch 
brand new, certainly. And I probably can't get it readily available new old stock. You, you know, like the SKX, out of production, but you can still buy them new on Amazon. So so certainly... You could probably buy them new to Macy's. Perhaps. Yeah, that's right. So it's still in stock at retailers. Um, that's certainly not a vintage watch. And, and in a number of years, it's going to dry up. And you're no longer going to be able to buy it at Macy's or or on Amazon. But it's still going to be readily available in new old stock condition at, at many places. What about the OGs, like the, the original runs of SKX? Would those fall into a vintage category for you? You know, I don't think it does, and maybe that's maybe that's wrong. But I think that there's a limitation there. Um, if you can still get the same thing in new or new, uh, new old stock condition, then then I think that just because you're an earlier iteration, you're disqualified. So it's just an old watch at that point, because what they started in '97. I think that's right. Yeah, '96 yeah. or '97. Yeah. Um, so so. I think that there's this idea for me that it has to be something that I can't get new. And and furthermore, if I can find a new or excellent or perfect condition version of that thing, it, it's a find. It's it's a real hmm. a real find, you know. Hey, there's this I'm on I'm on Craigslist right now and this guy is selling a uh, new old stock condition Pogue for 700 bucks. We should buy that. You, you know, th- that is a vintage watch because it, it's a, it's a, you know, you find that and it's a gem. Uh, I think for me, that's what it is. I'll accept that. I, I can, I can, I can dig that as the definition for vintage. Not only can you not buy it new, but the, uh, the inventory is such that to find a, a good condition, is a search you got to truly go on the hunt for it right okay i'll accept that as a definition okay (laughs) no no further argument no no argument i i can get behind that because all that makes sense that's that to me differentiates an old watch against a vintage watch and i think sets the stage for how do we have a conversation about vintage watches Mm -hmm. because now we know what a vintage watch is at least i mean i knew we all we could all pick out a vintage watch but i think with a kind of arbitrary definition of inventory i mean truly available inventory being the differentiation between old and vintage i'm down with it cool yeah so now that we've defined vintage watches i'm going to stand by my concern with with vintage watches and i think there's i think there's reasons to get into vintage watches and i think we've we've kind of covered them a little bit um but i have a list of reasons why i think a vintage watch makes sense and number one is the cool factor there are some really really cool watches out there that just aren't in production anymore uh, I, I think if you if you look at the Ripley watch, if you look at uh, some of the heart rate monitors that are out there, those are things you just can't get on the new market. You're gonna have to hunt for them. You're gonna have to like really hunt for them to find good condition. And that's the kind of vintage watch that I could see myself going down the vintage watch rabbit hole in. And I call it that really deliberately because I don't think I'm the type of person to have just one. I think I'm the type of person to have uh, I don't know a dozen of them. Because I think that would that would get me started on on the pursuit, because that's something that you and I both really enjoy is the pursuit, and I think vintage watches would be especially dangerous for that because we could pinpoint 
a watch, which is a hunt in and of itself. And then the hunt begins for the watch. You, you know, I don't see myself being the guy that fills a, a watch box with every iteration of a G10 um, or, or W10 or, or whatever. I, I don't I don't see myself being that guy, you know. This is this is every single dial variation. Um, it's just not it's just not how I have approached the hobby, and I and I don't see that changing. Um, but I but I do understand. I do understand that that tick where it's like, oh gosh, this could be a rabbit hole for me. Next up is the the some watches that are no longer in production, and that circles back to some of those cool factor watches that I talked about. Watches that you you can't just go on Amazon and buy. I can get behind a vintage watch makes sense for that. A watch that, that you really connect with. I think the Seiko Pogue is a good example. Um, you know, before a reissue comes out, if a reissue ever does come out, I can get behind that. A watch that you, that you dig in, in, in five years, the SKX might be that for a lot of people. Um, that went from the, probably the most popular first watch for people getting into uh, watch wearing as a hobby and thoughtful watch p- purchasing like that's the number one yeah and in five seven years people aren't going to be able to do that so that's going to be a watch that people are still going to connect with but they can't get so cover two reasons <clears throat> number three reason for me to be able to to get on board with a vintage watch is it's part of a true collection or I'm trying to fill a void uh, within that collection of something that can that only exists in the vintage space. Um, whether take your pick for the million reasons that people collect watches, or actually amass a collection of watches, whether it be a military watch or a specific iteration. I mean, I think the J iterations of the SKX will become one of those uh, sought after pieces for folks who collect SKXs, and they are already out there. Uh, people who are collecting. SKXs. Right, but and as um, it gets vintage, that'll be more and more important. Yeah. As, as the SKX becomes a vintage piece, that'll be a more important designation. Yeah. And then Ma- last, maybe modestly, so. Last up and the most likely reason for me to start uh, gathering up vintage watches is to own the OG and the reissue. Oh, interesting. I think that will be awesome in in my mind it's like a vertical tasting of a of an of a barrel aged beer or or a beer that you age like if you were open three four years worth of bourbon county stout and taste them all side by side having the the og and the reissue side by side would be so cool i would love that you know i don't know that that appeals to me um it, it there's i can see the appeal i can see the appeal but it isn't the way uh, it isn't the way I've approached it in the past, and I can't see myself. I just can't see myself going that direction. Uh, so it's interesting. That's interesting that that's a, a highlight for you. Oh, that would be that would that could be my first vintage watch purchase when a a reissue comes out that I really dig. Go to find the uh, the OG. I like it. That's cool. You you know I've got some reasons, and and I think some of them some of them dovetail with yours. Um, and and at least in one way, I think it's a totally different consideration. But but one of those obviously cool factor, right? You, it has you know, to be, yeah. The the 
Speedmaster Pro, the Moon Watch, as it were, is this tremendously popular watch. You know, perhaps one of the most, you know, one of the two or three most popular watches that exist. And recognizable. That's right. You, you know, and so people are are very concerned about getting a specific movement or a specific, um, you know, model year or whatever of that watch. And there's so many different opinions about just that in and of itself. But the Speedmaster Pro uh, is not particularly rare in terms of aesthetics, um, in terms of function. You, you know, you're wearing a Seiko SSB 031 tonight, which is a very cool watch. You and I both dig it. We've talked about it a hundred times on the show. And we'll continue to, because it's Because it's so cool, right? But it is, for all intents and purposes exactly the same as a Speedmaster Pro in terms of function. Um, it does very similar things. You know, I, I say exactly the same. That's hyperbole. But it, it's a very similarly functional watch. It's the same size. It is a similar looking watch. Um, you, you know, there's so many similarities. You do not need to do anything special in terms of hunting to find a watch that does that does all of the same things a Speedmaster Pro means. And I don't know I don't just mean a chronograph function. I mean the way it wears, the way it looks, the way it feels, the the practical use of it. So there's something to be said for the cool factor, which that was your category. So I can I mean that's a crossover. I think that's a category that that can drive that that's why anyone buys any watch. So I can buy into that one. So so that's one. I, I think the second the second reason for me is more of a prag, pragmatic concern which is, um, and you'll see this in both of my choices tonight, but vintage watches are different physically than modern watches. Because they're old. Because, well, <laughs> size-wise, they're, they're different, right? So both of my choices tonight are, are sub-38 millimeter watches. Ooh. Um, and, and I have gravitated as I've, as I've gotten more familiar with what I like and what I want, I've gravitated towards smaller watches. Well, you can't find 36 and 37 millimeter watches today, right? I, I mean, outside of a dress watch category. No, you can't. And even in dress watches, you know, we, we, that's one of the things that we, we harped on in our dress watch episode, both times we published it was that, <laughs> um, is that, you know, you can't you can't find a 37 millimeter watch so th- there's a pragmatic thing happening there and and for me every time i've become interested in a vintage watch it's been one of those two things one this is just cool this is a cool historically significant watch or two um it, it's a watch that physically doesn't exist in in a practical sense today and 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 that's for me just as important and but they're those two categories don't really intersect they're distinct the third the third reason and and i'll say this is kind of the same as your third your third reason but but a little bit different i I think that there's something cool about the idea of vintage watches in and of itself so i've got a diver i've got a a driving watch i've got a dress watch i've got a chronograph i've got all these watches that fill every category you know a weekend watch or whatever and i've also got a vintage watch it's a category in and of itself, uh, um, and and obviously, it's an and it's an incredibly diverse category that's a lot harder to pin down. But something about a vintage watch in and of itself is cool. I mean, we talked about it in skin divers. 
Well, yeah. Like, that's where you're going to find, it. for the most part, affordable skin divers. Uh, barring modern dress divers. And I, I would attribute that more to my second category than my third, but I guess there's some significance both there, so... One thing I, I didn't think about was the historic significance. I mean, there's there are certainly vintage watches out there that I, I I'm interested in purely because of their historical significance. And first one that comes to mind is the uh, is the uh, Space View from Bolova, mm-hmm. the the first tuning fork movement that was not even meant to go into production and then did so well in just demos showing the movement that it became a watch. I think that segues well with the cool factor, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's... it's it, Those are similar the, ideas. And I think for watch people, a lot of the cool factor is the historical significance, the technological advancements, the 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 revolutionary um, design or functionality that comes along with a new release. Oh, historical significance may be cool factor. Well, to the extent anyone's still listening, this is about the time where they're going to start wondering if we're ever going to talk about some watches. Do you, I know you, you picked out some watches. Do you want to talk about your first one? First up, this is one that I I will definitely talk to my wife about it when I get home. (laughs) Uh, And on the Etsy post, I'm actually not going to tell you what, well, no, 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 because if by the time, by the time Thursday rolls around, the decision will be made. So I'll tell you the Etsy post. It's rare vintage Q Timex Quartz watch 1970s for 150 money here on Etsy. Uh, Who's the seller? Oh boy. I don't know. Vintage, Vint Odds and Ends. Vint Odds and Ends. Vint Odds and Ends is selling a 1970s Q Timex. And uh, I actually before I found this watch, wrote on my paper, uh, own the OG and the reissue. And this is, I think, the perfect foray into affordable vintage watches for me because it's a watch I already know I like. It's a cool watch. Mm-hmm. And I, in the next year or so, I can also pick up the reissue. Mm-hmm. And I I love this Q Timex. I think vintage Timex... Is probably one of the best options for people who are looking to dip their toes into vintage watches because there are so many. They're still running and they're super affordable. Extremely affordable. If you just yeah. hit, hit if if you hit the Google and type in vintage Timex, you're gonna find two hundred watches that are in reasonably good condition, a combination of quartz mechanical movements for under two hundred bucks. Yeah. You, you know, I wonder if there's going to be a run on these. Uh, it obviously, I think the prices on these have come up, you know, maybe as much as 50%. But even if the prices come up 100%, they're still in the realm of, of affordable. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for, you're going to pay more than this for, for the reissue, right? Mm-hmm. You can buy this now. You can't buy the reissue now. Right. Well, uh, you can. It's not going to be 150 money though. Yeah. <laughs> um, 500, 600 bucks. Yeah, fuck that. I'll wait a year. Right. Uh, you probably won't even need to wait that long. But but I I think if, if I'm... If I say if as if it's not going to happen, I think my first vintage watch purchase is going to be a pretty painless dollar value vintage Timex. Because I think Timex is... And I think one of the, one of the, to me, one of the cool parts about vintage Timex is that they represent a time when Timex was, was really doing cool stuff, like as a, as a habit, as opposed to as a novelty or reissue. And I think they're, they're starting to move back towards that. Um, but you you get this really great American made product that is 
cool and still ticking and still sure. still still doing its job for under 200 bucks and it's super attractive it's yeah fun. they all look good i love the baguette markers this thing's so 70s it is and it looks so good yeah it's so sexy it's pretty cool i bet the loom lasts for about three minutes if <laughs> but that's not why you buy that's not why you buy a no you certainly watch. don't buy a vintage watch expecting it to do all the watch things that it did when it was new if you do that, you, you're you're making a bad choice. Get a watch with vintage loom on it. You know, I really like the idea of vintage quartz watches, and and I don't know enough about um, the durability of quartz watches, but there's something. You, you know, I think if you've got a watch that you can guarantee hasn't, you know, had a battery die in it, and, and, and been left and, for a decade. That's right. If you can, if you can open up the back and see that the battery chamber is clear and that you know it hasn't leaked. Um, I think a quartz watch is going to give you a certain amount of of security security in in the the longevity of it. Now, like anything else, quartz quartz is eventually going to break, and and it's going to be harder to fix. You're not fixing it than a mechanical watch. So unless you can find a, a a module somewhere, you might be toast when that does go. But you don't have to worry about. You know all the various pieces in a mechanical watch that can break. You're not going to have to worry about that. You're not going to have to worry about timing. You're not going to have to worry about so many things that are a concern with a vintage mechanical piece. No, I think that's the I think that's the attractive part of it to me is that they're going to be less expensive, and as a result, I'm more inclined to take the risk on it. Yeah, for sure. You spend two hundred bucks on that watch, hundred fifty bucks on that watch, and you're going to have it and enjoy it, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And then I'm going to get the reissue and I'm going to enjoy them both. Double wrist it. Cool. <laughs> so my first watch is, uh, it's a Seiko. It's a Seiko because we all know and love Seiko and vintage Japanese shit is cool in with a capital C. Um, I was going to say with a capital K. With a capital K. Well, that's appropriate here because this is a vintage King Seiko. Now, Ooh. King Seikos, you know, if you haven't read about the... The history of the King Seiko, Grand Seiko uh, battles in-house at Seiko. It's a fascinating story. Rumbles, even. But essentially, they take their two. They took two sides of their design house and, and sort of pitted them against each other. Pretty cool. Uh, but along the way, the um, idea of grammar of design came about. Uh, Taro Tanaka, famous Seiko, famous Seiko design voice, comes up with this idea of the grammar of design. The the watch I've picked is a classic grammar of design King Seiko watch. And and I, I'm not going to give you an exact model number. The one I was looking at earlier was a 5621-7020. Um, but but that that no, those numbers aren't all that important. Rather, I think that the thing that's important here, and this is for me, this is personal, is that you get a 5600 or 56XX movement. So these vintage King Seikos come in a number of different iterations. Um, There's the 4500 movements, the 6100 movements, the 5100 movements, the 5200 movements, and the 5600 movements. Now the 4500 and 6100s are the earlier iterations. They're beautiful, wonderful, high beat, 10 seconds per, 10 beats per second movements, but they're problematic. They go bad. They go bad. The 51 and the 5200 movements, or, or at least the 5200, also 10, 10 beats per second, and they're durable, but they're, but they're pretty pricey. 
The 5600 movement is an 8 beats per second movement. Robust, fantastic, you know, 8, eight beats per second is there are 28-8 workhorses, workhorses, and they're affordable today. So um, if, you, if you can find one of these King Seikos with a 56XX movement, you, you know, and, and the, the last two digits, I think, refer to the complication. So whether that's chronometer grade or date day date um they do have i think the 5621 is a is a no day no date complication and they're probably the most reliable um but you might want a day or you might want a date and and, and i've picked this classic grammar of design style which um you, you know if you want to see what that is just look up uh, you, you know, you can look up this number 5621-7020 and you'll see this exact watch as a Wand article that we'll link to in the show notes. But it's this fantastic style. You, you know, there's this idea that they didn't want any distortion on the dial. Um, you, you know, that the lines all flow together. Just exquisite. And so classically Seiko. Super, I mean, well, it is maybe the, for me, it is the classic Seiko. Uh, there's actually a modern watch that came out recently the avig thor which does a lot of these same things uh i really like that watch but for my money 36 or 37 millimeters these are all in that range you know you get the you get the 56 21 movement and, and you don't have a day date window holy cow this is such a wonderful uh, option for a dress watch it re- really is it it fits that category perfectly and when you're looking at a at a vintage watch i think a dress watch is probably a safe route to go because you're not going to be getting it wet you're not going to be putting it through some turmoil that's the best way to care for that vintage watch that you've just bought right And, and you know these come in you know depending on the condition anywhere from about 400 350 400 to you know significantly more 1200 1500 inbox with papers doubtful but maybe maybe um there's there's some there's some case differences some of these have monoblock designs where the case back doesn't come off it has to be serviced through the crystal oftentimes they do have a removable case back and 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 those removable case back versions has have the medallions those gold medallions that are just lovely um thick are these you, you know, I don't know. I, I would guess... They look 10 at max. Yeah, I would guess between 10 and 12. Um, so so certainly not not thick. It, it's not going to be a, a bulky watch at all. They're, they're really elegant. It's going to lie close to the wrist. Fantastic. I, I love these. And uh, I've never found one that I just I couldn't pass. And someday I will and I'll buy it. But <clears throat> I really like these. These stick markers on this... The King Seiko, all the branding is perfect. Perfect. I love these. Yeah. Now you, you'll find them if you look up 56KS. You'll find these on Etsy and, and eBay and everything else. Um, you, you know, watch out for polishing. They've got some, they've got some, they've got some edges on them that you're going to want to look for. Um, but, you know, if, if you, you can get these things in the $200, $250 range thrashed and that's kind of cool and you can fix it up yourself yeah well maybe you just leave it maybe you just leave it just like it is you you know dinged up and wobby sobbed up and (sighs) that's uh you you know that's an option and i think for some people that's that's going to be appealing so the nice thing about vintage watches is you if you 
expand your budget enough and you take enough time, you can find probably the one that meets your exact criteria. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my that's my watch. I, I think I, I think that this is for someone who's sort of been collecting for a while into the Japanese watch thing, because not everybody is, right? That's that's a, a, a thing in and of itself. I think affordable folks tend to be more into Japanese watches just for Because they're affordable. That's right, just for the practical the practical uh reasoning. Um but yeah, I think for someone who wanted to to spend a little money and get something neat and reliable and uh timeless this is it, it it's kind of a cool t- piece of history yeah that's right that's the right. seiko feud is you, important you learn the story and and that's going to be an important part of of the watch when you talk about it so to people who care don't talk about it to people who don't care that's right <laughs> it'll make it worse on the airplane to the poor to the poor lady sitting next to you yeah Maybe she'll love that leave her alone well, what about you? You've got a Seiko here too. I do. Big shock. And it, for me, is the Seiko Pogue. And this fits a bunch of the categories that, that in my mind, would requi- I would require to buy a, a vintage watch. And this hits them. The cool factor is there. Not only is it, not only does it look fucking cool, it's been to space. Not the one that I'll buy, but, you know, <laughs> uh, an iteration of this has been to space. Uh Number two, they're not they're they're not in production, and you can't really find something that fits this exactly. There is only one Seiko Pogue. Yeah, there's plenty of other chronographs out there. There's plenty of other cool ass Seikos out there. There's plenty of other cool ass watches out there, but this is in a world of its own, uh, and nothing filled the void uh, for this watch when it was discontinued. Are, are you ready for this though? Because it meets your fourth category too. Oh no! I think they're re-releasing this. Yeah, I, I think that it's been—it's just rumors at this point. But I'm pretty sure that they're—they're they're fairly uh, substantial rumors at this point. Well, then it looks like I'll be buying two OGs <laughs> and two reissues over the next couple of years. That's right. Because uh, this would be a, such a great watch to have—have have a vertical of, have the OG and the reissue. You're telling me that doesn't interest you? Well, I, I mean. It doesn't. No, I, I can't tell you that. Yeah. I'd want one or the other. I want both. <laughs> you know, this is in the... So the Pogue is the 6139 uh, is in that first automatic chronograph conversation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's still in an affordable category. I mean, used... You, I mean, it, like any other vintage watch, you can pick these up for sub 300 you or know, north or neighborhood of a thousand. I think that this is one of those watches that you have to be extremely careful with because these things get it's a end. Yeah. Yeah. They get frank end all the time. So this watch more than I think a lot of the, I think more than any of the other watches we're going to talk about today is at high risk for, for being frank end. So in this case, the more banged and fucked up it is probably the more likely it is it's an OG. Perhaps. Yeah, that's that's right. That's so. right. And, and, you know, I think we've talked about this watch once before on the show. and We've talked about it a handful of times, I think. Um, you, you know, we talked about this, the prices, and I think we were kind of in disagreement with where the prices sit. I, I suspect you're you're getting pretty close to a thousand, you, you know, high, high, high hundreds, you know, seven, eight, certainly for a, a fairly decent version of this that's that's mostly original 
I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, but I, I saw a couple today on the eBay neighborhood of 300, and I saw a good handful north of eight. You know, here's a question for you. Um, if you're buying this watch to wear, n- not to be a collector, n- not to have a showpiece, not for value retention, if you're buying this watch to wear, are are you are you personally opposed to having a watch that's frankened? I don't think so. I don't know that I am either. That's you know I, I hadn't really thought about that, um, but I think that maybe I'm okay with that. If if I'm buying this to wear and I can get it for two fifty three hundred bucks, I might put up with some Franken watching. I think I'm okay with it. It's I mean it's a vintage watch, and I, I think the Frankening is is part of the story. I mean when you're buying a vintage watch, you're not just buying that model of watch. It's very different than buying an SKX. It's different than buying an SNK. It's different than buying any others, any of these new off the shelf, out of the box watches. You're buying a story that goes along with it. And whether or not you know that story, I don't, I think that's irrelevant. I mean, you're, you're buying something that's had a, had a life I mean, potentially longer than your own. Well, there's something to be said for a factory air-cooled Porsche, right? You know, there's something to be said for that. But, you, you, you know, if, if I've got a watch that, that walks like a duck and talks like a duck. Shit, we talked about this literally right before we hit record. When is a watch no longer that watch? Oh, yeah. At what, at what point <laughs> is that SKX? Talking about Terry from Toxic Nados. Has he, got a dope watch up on Instagram for sale. The, the supercharged, supercharged, yeah. supercharged SKX 007. I think it's a Crystal Times case. So yeah. my, my thought was, well, that's not, that didn't even start its life as an X, SKX. That started as as a Crystal Times watch, you know, case that he filled up. But yeah, no, it's a good question. When, when does it cease to be that watch? And I don't, I don't know the answer. Does it, does it stop when you change the movement? Does it stop when you can no longer recognize it. I mean, you, you that that watch is is clearly a modded SKX, and it, I mean, is it the dial? Is that what makes the watch the watch? Because the, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe it's relative too, right? You, you know, it's this whole idea: how, how much for two hundred and fifty bucks, if you can get a Pogue, how much are you willing to put up with? So maybe it's different for different for a different person. But you, you know, maybe you're that guy who's got a who who's got a, a completely factory stock yellow pogue and now you want a completely factory stock blue pogue you, you know maybe that becomes important to you uh at, at some point and, i want that and, case that dial that bezel i don't give a shit what's in it i just want it to tick or run i don't give i don't care if right. it's a quartz i don't care right i just want that watch you, you know um kaz from two broke watch snobs talks about uh he he's you know very educated when it comes to russian watches super into it and he talks about the big zero a lot. You know, people write him and, he, you know, basically you you can't find a stock big zero on eBay. And when you do, you should get that. Um, and I, I've thought about that before, too. Like, well, if I've got a dial that someone painstakingly recreated to look just like the big zero, maybe that's OK with me um, because it's not like. It's not like it's maybe it's a, just as cool, or, you know. It's it's not like it's some sort of handcrafted. You know, this was made by a Russian factory in the height of the Cold War. You, you, you know, this thing is. It's a Franken watch to begin right, with, <laughs> right? Right. You, you know, which I, I can get it. I can get both sides. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. I love the Pogue man. Just such a cool watch. 
such a cool watch. I would love to find one of these. Uh, I would love to find one of these in all black. And I know that's not the sexy version. The the sexy version is the yellow Pepsi or perhaps the blue Pepsi. But I, I've, I've seen pictures of these, I think, jet black before. Um, I'd love that. I want just it. I don't care what color it is. Don't even care if it has the original movement. I just you're, want it. You're easy. I'm super easy. You know that about me. I didn't know that about you. Just, just meat and potatoes, or just meat. You and know? you, do you want it, you want it thrashed, or do you want it in good good condition? I, I think I'm okay with either because if it's thrashed, then it's going to be a vintage project. Like I'm going to get it and I'm going to restore it. I kind of like the idea of one of these just beat to shit and, but if, and, and not restoring it like maybe servicing the movement and just leaving it completely trash with all that wabi sabi on it. i think i painstakingly restore it hmm. it just adds to the story sure sure it's it's my chapter in that watch's story i dig it man i dig it cool watch what's next what's next so my my second and final watch this is a watch that i've always loved i've always loved the Tag Heuer 2000. So this is a pre-Aqua Racer. When I say Tag Heuer 2000, it's a that that watch has been around for ages. Isn't that what Kim has? Uh, that is what Kim has. In fact, I, I found one for Kim because I loved it so much, and I, I I saw one and I had to buy it for her. As she appreciates it way less than I would. It's made it on the Instagram. It has, I think, a couple of times even. Um, yeah. Th- so so the version I like is really the late 90s version of this watch you know know, tag hoyer became tag hoyer i think in the late late ish 80s um mid to late 80s so so at at some point these watches that were hoyer become tag hoyers it makes this interesting lineage at some point these things are are tag hoyer dialed with hoyer branded bracelets you know using up the old stock but the the version i like is the the Hoyer the Tag Hoyer um, late '90s? So I think these are like the version Generation Three, two um, thousands. They come in both a stainless bezel and and an aluminum bezel. So so a complete you know monoblock stainless bezel with these nubs and and an aluminum a flat aluminum bezel i really like both of them and and i go back and forth on which one i want you know what's interesting about that iteration is the hands are different on all of them that's right so i think this generation three they came out with three different versions they had the the classic the sport and the exclusive the classic is obviously the version classic that, with that a kind of maintained the 2000 aesthetic the exclusive sort of add some things i think the exclusive is the version that really becomes the aqua racer and the sport that's the version that's got the aluminum bezel it's got all 12 numerals um or, or at least 11 of the 12 they, they cut it out for the three o'clock this is the version i think i like the best because it has this kind of simple sporty no shit aesthetic to it um th- these watches aren't particularly special i don't think um you know, Tag Heuer at the time in the 90s was was doing good stuff. Um, and, and they were putting out good watches. And they were on really on both sides of the of the automatic and quartz race. They, they were doing all the right things. But they weren't doing anything super special. This is kind of like Tag now, right? Tag still 
developing great movements, but they're just not, they're not doing a lot of special stuff. I mean, they collaborated with Tom Brady to do a Tom Brady watch, which was amazing. That's fantastic. He's no. an angel sent from heaven. <laughs> um, I do love this watch. It's a 200-meter watch. I, I They make these both in automatic variations and quartz versions. Um, they also have chronographs that you can pick up in the same style. For me, I think I just want a three-hander, date model, quartz, Tag Heuer 2000 from the late 90s. They're, they're small. They're small. They're 37-ish, 37 and a half. Uh, some of them are as much as 38 millimeters. Oh, getting big. <laughs> um, so this is a diminutive watch, especially for a dive watch. You know, we, we find we talk about a lot of watches that are 37, 38, but you don't find too many diminutive um, diminutive dive watches. And this is for sure a sporty athletic dive watch with a with a metal bracelet and it's a cool metal bracelet it's hollow end links but the rest of the bracelet's solid um fantastic they feel great the links feel good the machining's all quality uh i just dig it man and, and i love the size i love the idea of a 37 millimeter dive watch now i can't wear kim's because i got kim the the ladies version so it's I think like 18 it's, millimeters mm, it's tiny i think it's 33 yeah so it's pretty small um and, and so it doesn't you know i put it on my wrist and i'm like ah, nope that doesn't work um but at 37 I've, I've worn these before and it's perfect perfect i love this watch and and it's cool it's cool i put it on i feel cool i'm wearing a tag you know or whatever i don't know that's kind of silly i know but it's still a thing i feel so i think it's reasonable yeah this is it i i love this watch I love this watch, and you can find lots of these. You can find lots of them. They're they're not cheap, even still. But I mean, five hundred to seven hundred um, on the high side for a three hander. And you're going to be finding them in better condition than you're going to find any Pogues. Yeah, people take care of these. You find these with with you find these with box and papers all the time. Um, and I've never pulled the trigger just because it's. A, it's a little bit more than I would like to spend on a on a day to day watch, but it it needs to happen for me at some point. This this is le- probably my first vintage watch. Yeah, it, yeah. When when I do when I do buy, this is the one. And and I've I've been in negotiations, literally in negotiations with people about this watch three times in the last two years. I could pull up the messages on my watch you seek. Uh, <laughs> were you offering him 50 bucks and a beer or like no but i i would want to get a deal on one so okay. yeah i want to get a deal on one it, it's that kind of thing for me but i have you, you know I mean, I, that's part of the hunt i had a guy down to 500 once and i needed to go closer to four and he wasn't going to get there um you, you know and it was just well that's a hundred dollars more than i'm willing to spend and i walked um and then he kind of he kind of hit me up a couple times because I I didn't I should have just walked. He I bumped the thread a couple times. He did. And... I should have said. Here's what I should have said. You know what? That's a hundred dollars more than I want to spend on this watch. I wish you luck. And instead, he would like come back and ping me and say, "Hey, I've still got it if you're interested." Because I'd kind of been like, "Oh, let me think." You know, knowing you didn't do the hard sell if you told him hundred dollars more than I'm willing to spend and walked. Maybe he maybe yeah. he says I'll do it for four. Maybe and I yeah. should have done that, but I didn't. Yeah, so. drive the hard bargain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the other time I just other times I just got cold feet. But you you know this watch for four hundred bucks is is my first vintage watch. So when I find one, you know when I when I start looking in earnest, that's probably my my baby. All right, 
And then and then Kim and I can do his and her wristy shots. Ooh, that'd be so romantic. <laughs> That's right. You have to call me over to take them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I can never do it myself. I'm terrible at wristies. I think I had a good batch this week. You did. Yeah, you did have a good batch. We'll get some of those up on the Instagram. So we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, what? what? Tell us, what do you think of as a vintage watch? What are your vintage watch picks? What right. it, what vintage watches do you have? Do you regret them? Are you happy about them? Are they some watches that just sit in the back of your watch box and you look at them shamefully because you never wear them? Let us know. Shame. Shame. Ring, ding. Shame. Ring, ding. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, I, I liked that one. That was a fun episode. I hope it was fun uh, to listen to because it was fun to research and it was fun to talk about. Yeah. What other things you got? You, you know, uh, sort of on message for today, my other thing is also a vintage selection. Hit me. I recently started watching The Walking Dead on Netflix. The Walking Dead. That's a it's a show about it's a show about a family and dysfunctional and a baby. Yeah, yeah. there's some infidelity and you know some trust issues. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a rom com, I guess you could call it. Uh, and there's zombies. Yeah, no, 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 you can't forget those. Those are they they play a minor role. And there are zombies. It's the family story in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. The zombies are secondary. So I've you know I've been watching this for about a month, just sort of. How do we just now talked about this? I, you know I don't know because it's an I old see show. You every week or sometimes twice a week, sometimes more than that. Because I've been kind of watching it intermittently. Kim won't watch it with me. You know, most of the TV I watch is stuff that I watch with Kim, right? Because we're you know because that's what you do at night. You watch TV together like right. any normal couple. Right, right. But she's not going to watch this. You know? <laughs> she's. You no, know, Sam watched it with me through like season four. My wife just goes, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. she, she makes a sound. You, you can't, like, catch it off her, like, when you stop on the Netflix tile. And... Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, she's not into it. So, I, I haven't been watching it. I, I'm not binging it, you know, uh, except when I have, like, a couple of hours at home. And, and in fact, today I did. They had birth. My kids had some birthday parties, and my wife took them. And so, I had, like, five hours at home. Woo! And I watched I watched Walking Dead and, and tackled mount laundry which is perfect it's a perfect combination of things to do it's a good laundry folding show because you get sweaty i get sweaty folding laundry i have no answer for you why it's one of the most (laughs) the least strenuous things i do and it is like the most physically exhausting to be not the first time we've talked about laundry sweat on this show no (laughs) do you get sweaty folding laundry no i don't get sweaty unreasonably sweaty I take breaks because I get so hot. And it's not fresh out of the dryer because I don't fold laundry fresh out of the dryer. Get some Gatorade. Yeah. I drank Pedialyte. <laughs> uh, and that's a good show. And and since I just discovered that you were watching it, I thought you were re-watching it like a normal human being. Um, I warned you that about season five, I think, is when I stopped. Down. I just stopped. Like I, they're still they're still producing it, right? They're still making it. I don't know if they're still doing the regular Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead. So there was a spinoff. Oh, interesting. Fear the Walking Dead, which is occurring, uh, from what I understand, like pretty similar uh, timeline, but on the other side of the country. And there is some character crossover in Fear and the OG. Okay. Well, so far so good, man. I've been pretty into it. I read the graphic novels, uh, novel. I don't know multiple novels i think the comic books the comic books that's right i read the comic books a number of years ago and and they're and they're really good super fun 
Um, but it's just, I had never gotten into the show. I think maybe I watched a couple of episodes at some point. Because some of the stuff when I was watching, I was like, I've seen this before. But I'm firmly in, have never watched Territory now at the outset of season three. It used to be a critical part of my weekly routine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, never, never, never gotten the, never gotten the bug for it. The problem with me is that it just got tedious. It's like, come on, it, like... I know there's not going to be a happy ending, and I'm totally okay with that. It's a zombie apocalypse show. There's not going to be a happy ending. You're going to make it to a place. The place is going to feel safe. Someone's going to have to go out to get something. They're going to die. The zombies are going to follow them back. Other people are going to die, and then you're going to meet some guy who's wandering, and he's going to shoot one of you, and you're going to shoot one of him, and then we're going to go to the next phase of that. Yeah, and it, but, but like, <laughs> it's like I Am Legend that wraps up nicely, or mm-hmm. Bird Box that wraps up nicely. I don't need that. In an apocalyptic movie, I don't need it to wrap up nicely because it's the end of the fucking world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't need, yeah, we're wrapped up. Yeah, there's no resolution. We've already wrapped. Well, so it got a little tedious for me and I just stopped. Well, you know, I've been really enjoying it, but I'm, I'm before that that tedious point. So, um, yeah, interesting. If it's something you haven't watched, maybe check it out. I, I guess probably 99.9% of the people who listen to the show have, have watched it. That would be my guess. But if you haven't, you haven't given it a try, give it give it a try. Give it a watch. Super and, fun. and just stop watching when you're done because you don't need to wrap up. You don't need to keep going. It's yeah. like the Wheel of Time books. Have you read those? No. Okay. I'll move on. <laughs> but when you get to like book 11 and you're like, this is kind of boring. Let me Take it from me. Just stop. Just stop. It's not going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Other things? Another, uh, not a new thing. Uh, I've been on a podcast kick. Shocker. And I just downloaded a whole mess of the podcast from The Art of Manliness. And that's a magazine that I have read an absurd amount of their articles and follow them on social media and read their stuff as it comes out. And it's a it's it's a men's magazine because it's called The Art of Manliness. Are we going to call it a magazine? Uh, that's how they define themselves oh, as okay. an independent online magazine. Okay. Interesting. Uh Otherwise, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have chose magazine as as the word for it. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. well, I'm glad you've justified yourself. Yeah, um, but for those of you who aren't familiar, and I'd be surprised if you're not, they do periodic articles and really regular articles on uh, all things manly, ranging from uh, parenting to um, fitness to things you should just know as a human, not just a man, but just things you should know as a human, like how to start a fire. You, you know, the idea uh, kind of turned me off. I, I think I started reading Art of Manliness, gosh, I don't know, a long time ago. They started in ago. 2008, so yeah, we're was, looking at, it's 11 years old. I, I was thinking I was thinking law school. So um, the idea of the Art of Manliness kind of turned me off because, right, what, you, you know, in, in 2019, what does it mean to be manly? But it's a very modern... Progressive... Uh, that's right, you, you know, which is a bad word to some of you guys, I'm sure, and I'm, we're sorry for using bad words on the on the podcast. Yeah, but fuck Everett, <laughs> it is it is a pretty progressive, and, and that is not to say that it's it's political, but uh, you, you know, they they think about how to be a dad and how to be a husband and how to be a man in this sort of 
thoughtful uh, way, you know, and some of the stuff is just silly, right? Like how to make a fire, right? This traditionally manly thing, but also like, I, I think at one point I read how to apologize to your wife or something yeah, like they that. Have article, there's, there's tons of articles, their podcast. I some of the, uh, some of the episodes I could do without, so I didn't download them. Uh, but some of them are like, uh, I, I just saw a sponsored post on Instagram of uh, a book that's shit. I don't remember what it's called, but basically it was what Navy SEALs have learned and subsequently taught their sons. And they have an article or they have a podcast with the author parentheses S of that book. I, cause I didn't read the book, obviously <laughs> um, talking about what, I mean, arguably in, in the, in your mind of like the manliest dudes in the world, what they've taught their sons and things that you want to teach your daughter. And, and what it does, is it takes a, a very modern stance on masculinity, not in like the toxic masculinity sense, but it's like, what is it? What does it mean to be a man? And in the world that we live how to in, not be a, how to not be a toxic man, perhaps yeah. at times. And it's not all that, right. Yeah. It's, it's not political or, or preachy, but, but certainly there's this idea of how to be a man without being toxic. Yeah. Recognizing the fact that you are a man. And as a result, you have, manly responsibilities uh and they have a i probably downloaded a hundred podcasts today and we'll be listening to those on my drives and they've got good articles i mean it's just it's a it's a good spot to to just drop in it doesn't matter what you're looking for if you're looking for just random shit to read or if you're looking for fitness routines or for uh camping techniques or life hacks they've they've got it all all right man well, I think I think that's as good a place as any to probably wrap for the week, don't you think? I think so. B- before we go, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, plug our our Patreon. We did start a Patreon, and and, and some of you, many of you, uh, have have come around and and said, "Hey guys, we we dig what you're doing, and uh, we want to be part of that." Well, uh, we're super appreciative. You you know, if you've been to the Patreon, or even if you just listen, we're super appreciative of all the support. But I will say. Uh, I think in this episode, you're, you're going to notice we, we had some microphone issues. We fixed them. You know, you guys don't know. Uh, sometimes it takes us three or four hours to record these episodes. Not usually, but occasionally. It has on a number of occasions. Um, and, and tonight was one of those nights. And so, you, you know, there's going to be some audio. We are in a place where we are satisfied with the content we're putting out. And we're increasingly unsatisfied with our capabilities, our, our, our functional pragmatic capabilities, which which is really to say our hardware sucks. Yeah. Our hardware sucks and our software sucks. But we're not making any money on this. So we're loath to, to, to go crazy buying stuff to do this. Um, well, we're not. Our wives are. <laughs> and they're not. They're super supportive. <laughs> um, but... But with that said, it doesn't make sense. We we started we started a Patreon really to sort of push us in in the 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 next direction uh, or or the next iteration of our show, which I think is probably to to improve on our capabilities to record a high quality podcast. So do you um, want to listen to us? Some of that is some of that is technical equipment. Some of that's going to be how do we review watches that you guys are sending us or that brands are sending us. Um, but to do that, we've decided to start a Patreon. We've talked about this before. Um, you can find it at uh, patreon.com slash 40 and 20. And we'd love to have you. You know, anything. Someone someone hit me up and said, hey, you, your only tier is $1. And that's right. That's exactly right. It, which is only to say, if you want to come in and do $100 a month, 
We, we, we are not going to stop you. However, for me, about a buck a month, that seems like a reasonable amount of money to pay for a single podcast that I love. And if I don't love it, I'm not paying it. Any, I'm not paying anything. I'm not on the Patreon. And so, it, yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you don't love us, you don't have to give anything. If you just want to listen occasionally. If you do love us, you don't have to give anything. That's right. That's right. You, you never have to give anything. However, if you do like listening and you do want to support what we're doing, that's there for you as an option to do that. And, and just know we're kind of in a place where we need it. So we don't need it, but it would really help. So if that's something you want to do, we're there patreon.com slash 40 and 20 i'll stop because it feels like i'm selling and i hate that idea also feel free to leave reviews on itunes yeah we don't get very many reviews on itunes and we have three aren't great they're not great (laughs) (laughs) but we'll be better we'll try to be better we probably won't be no what you've what you've experienced up to this point in terms of content is about what you're gonna get all right. Well, we love you guys. Thanks for all your support. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of 40 and 20. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.